I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I'm the practice owner at Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners and acquiring some or all their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have a physical therapy colleague, Steven Anderson. He's a physical therapist, a previous practice owner, and an ex-CEO at Therapeutic Associates, a very large practice that we're going to get into. And now Steve is staying busy. Among many things, he's an executive coach at Orange.Coaching. You can check him out at orange.coaching.com. He's also a podcast host and much, much more. Steve, how are we doing? Welcome on. Doing great. Thanks for having me, David. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. So let's get into a little bit of your background. I definitely want to talk about what you and I are seeing and your experience around helping practice owners determining what's most important to them when starting to look at an exit strategy or develop a succession plan and, and what types of things, mental models and frameworks that they could you know, have in place and think about before they're even taking their practice to market. But before we get into that, can we go into your background a bit? Sure. So uh, I came out of school. I wanted to be a private practice uh, physical therapist in, in orthopedics. And so I joined a group which is known as Therapeutic Associates. So I didn't know a lot about them when I when I joined, other than the person that I took the, my first position with was chairman of the orthopedic section of APTA. So I figured there'd be some good mentoring opportunities there. So later found out that the company is a private practice and uh, started in 1952 by uh, a gentleman by the name of Jim McKillop. He later brought on another partner by the name of Bob Dykus. And Bob Dykus is the Robert G. Dykus Award is the highest award you can win in the private practice section of APTA. So Jim McKillop and Bob Dykus had a lot to do with the development of the private practice section, and they were early pioneers in private practice physical therapy. So they came up with this idea that if I'm in private practice by myself and I want to hire people like me, one of two things is going to happen in about three within three years. One is they either want a piece of my pie or they want to go out on their own and do their own thing. So how do we keep good people and do this? So they, they came up with this idea that why don't we start a de novo clinic, put you in it because you've proven that you're a good person and a good therapist and we work well together finance that, and then we can be partners as ownership partners, you know, going forward. And so that's what has happened ever since the the mid-1950s. And so that practice is, is grown up now to where there's, I think uh, last I heard, there's 106 clinics and they're getting close to $100 million in revenue, or if not, they're over that already. And so it's just a, a very collaborative, shared model that's lasted the test of time and, and continues to keep going. And when you were a physical therapist and practice owner with them, 
you had mentioned the pre-interview that you helped them open up and start West. Was it West Seattle Physical Therapy? Yeah, West Seattle Physical Therapy. So, uh, you know, as as I told the story earlier, yes. And about three years, I said, okay, I'm itching to do my own thing. So do I do it with the company that I'm with or do I do it on my own? And I chose to do it with the company. And so they were not in the state of Washington at that time. They were based, most of the practices were in Oregon at the time in Southern California. So I opened up the first clinic within Therapeutic Associates in the state of Washington in a neighborhood uh, called West Seattle. And I did that for 16 years and built that up and and grew the practice and then eventually uh, was elected by my peers to be the CEO of the company, the third CEO of Therapeutic Associates uh, starting in 1998. I did that for 19 years. And what was the thought process around naming that practice, the one that you started, the DeNovo, even though it was basically backed or financed by Therapeutic Associates. Why name it West Seattle Physical Therapy as opposed to another Therapeutic Associates location? Yeah, interesting, you know, different day, different time. So in that day and time, it was kind of the bigger practices. A lot of people had judgments about it. So it didn't, in my opinion or our opinion, it didn't make sense to promote as one at that point. So each of the clinics were just um, individual names. Uh, when I became CEO of the company in 1998, one of the first things I did was I said, I think times are different now. And I think that it does benefit us all if we can market together, collaborate together, be seen as one. So we moved all the clinics. So now that that clinic that I started is Therapeutic Associates West Seattle. So they all go under the common name now. Got it. And back when you were starting the DeNovo Clinic, was that something that they required you and other owners to pony up a check in terms of like investing and having some skin in the game? Or was that like 100% financed by the company? It's 100% financed by the company. So it's more like the easiest way to describe is kind of like a law firm. So you come in as an associate partner. So you're backed and you have uh, financial support and you build this, uh, this clinic up. Once you reach a certain profitability level, then you are welcomed in as a what they call a shareholder. And at that point, then there is an investment to do that. Got it. So is that like an earn in in a way or no? Yeah, you earn you well, now you earn the ability to then buy in. And so the buy in is not super huge, but it's significant. And it's just, uh, you know, to get your own skin in the game as well. Got it. And over the years with the growth of Therapeutic Associates, when you were CEO of those 19 years, what approximately was the growth in terms of continued de novo clinics versus external acquisitions? Was it like 50-50 or do you recall like some amount one versus the other when you were you know leading the company? Well, again, I think times change. And so when I first became the CEO and probably a, a lot of that time going forward during my tenure, uh, we did almost all de novos. And the reason for that is because we had a leadership development program and a a clinical development program. And so we would work hard on developing people within the company and then give them opportunities to expand and go out into a de novo clinic. So near the end of my tenure, though, this is probably circa 2013, 14, 15 in, in that area, it became apparent that it's it's much harder to do that in today's environment because it often takes 12, 18 months to be profitable. And so it's a drain to do that. So if you purchase, do an acquisition of other clinics and you, you do it well and you pay the right price for it, 
you know, you can have a positive cash flow right from the beginning. So it changed a little bit. So by by the end of my tenure, we were looking more for purchases and acquisitions than always going to the de novo. But right now, I would say in that company, particularly, I think it might be more of a 50-50 at this point. Got it. And then you have a lot of experience in not just leadership positions and helping others expand their leadership capabilities. Also, the uh, I didn't mention that podcast name, but the podcast that you host is Profiles in Leadership. Really awesome podcast I listen to on Apple iTunes podcast. And so from that, and if we can put ourselves in the shoes of the audience, the shoes of private practice owners, physical therapy owners, maybe they're owners of uh, PT or OT clinics, maybe they're physicians or chiropractors, when they are thinking about exiting or a succession plan. And you and I in the pre-interview were talking about things that are typically important to them or things that they maybe initially perceive or believe to be important to them, like getting top dollar or max value for their practice, which is one of the components. And you mentioned in the pre-interview that there's you know several components for them to be thinking about. And the one thing that you were mentioning is like having a framework or like a mental model to approach this whole scenario, it's a really large transaction, potentially is the largest transaction of their life. So what are some ways that you've seen to be successful or even tips and suggestions for private practice owners listening? Sure. I think you need to be very clear on what your expectations are and what you want to do. I'm a firm believer that you need to do things for the right reason. So why are you selling your practice? You know, are you near retirement and you're just tired and you you don't want to do it anymore? Or is it or do you want to join another group because you have more support and you can collaborate more? I have a bias just so you're aware of it. I just you know, I was in a company that was a multi-site company from the get go. And I just really believe in collaboration and teamwork and working with brilliant people and doing things as a group more than you could ever do by yourself. So uh, if that's a reason to join a group. And then you're going to look in different ways. So we we talked before that if your main objective is to make as much money as you possibly can by selling your practice, then just be clear about that and be okay with that. And then go find the highest bidder. And then don't try and, you know, don't, don't be bent out of shape if things, you know, if it goes in a different direction, you know, because you got what you wanted. Now, if you want to join a group, and I think this is what's really changed in the last few years, in my opinion, is Again, my personal opinion, I think it's really hard in today's world to be a solo practitioner with with one site. And so if you can see an opportunity to join a group and collaborate more and use combined resources and economies of scale and things like that, I think in today's environment, it probably makes more a lot of sense to do that. So if that's what you want to do, then I think you got to do your due diligence and make sure who is the group I'm joining, who are the players who do I get to work with? What's their culture? What leadership development and clinical development programs do they have within the organization? And those are the things that you really want to focus on. Now, of course, everybody wants to, to get paid for what they've created and, and make as much money as they can. But, you know, you need to balance the two and they may not be, um, you know, exactly the same. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that you had mentioned is not just some owners, they're going to maybe just focus on the, the highest offer, the the top bidder. But then there's many other owners that also are going to be caring about legacy and their reputation. And is their staff, their team, which in, in many 
private practices, you know this, that many of the staff is sometimes even considered like family in, in many cases. Maybe they, they've had certain employees work there for 15, 18, 20 years or more. And so on a recent episode, I interviewed Lance Knob, a practice owner of Breakthrough Physical Therapy in South Jersey. And they have been partnered with, I think it was Active Rehab, which then owns Twinborough and, and many other groups in the, the New York region. And one of the things that was important for him was keeping his practices brand name. So the local community, I mean, it's in a way, it's like a micro USPH model where the community still sees that that practice is breakthrough physical therapy and his brand and his logo. And and I had asked him in the interview if they had approached you with an offer, you know, similar type of an offer and changing your practice name to Twinboro Physical Therapy or one of the other, you know, brand names that they own in their portfolio. You know, would you have gone through and 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 completed this partnership and this transaction? And and he said no. So that's also like that's a really uh another big component because some practice owners want their their name, whether it's their personal name, their their brand name to continue going and serving the community and and not having something that is a different different focus like the corporate brand or or some other larger group that is you know more just about volume and and less about whatever that local neighborhood feel is so again that's one of many other considerations well i i think you need to again like we said earlier be very clear of your expectations i think you also need to be open to other ideas so like your example of i don't want the names to change that may be your desire, but why? And so talking with someone that can present a case of to why it might be better to change the names overall and whatever, I think you need to at least be open to it. But having said that, if that's your, if that's a high priority and you don't want that to happen, then, then you just make that clear from the get go and either it works with that, that group or not. The other thing I think you really need to be clear about, and I've seen a lot of people make mistakes is what is my position with the company going forward? So. Let's say, for instance, you don't like to push your people real hard on productivity. You don't think that's what you should do and whatever. And then you sell to a, a new group and then they expect you to just spend all your time making your people more productive. You're going to go crazy. You're, you're going to hate it. So that's yeah, something. You, you better know that up front. Exactly. So be very clear as to, okay, now when I sell my practice to this group, what is my role in the organization going forward? And be very clear on, what they agree to do and what you're willing to do and, and know what that is. And don't do the deal if you can't see yourself doing what they want you to do. You know, and not all groups are like that. I mean, I, I think it's a day and time where I think the private equity groups, a lot of them have learned kind of from the past that you can't just give somebody a bunch of money and grind the remaining people into the ground and then expect to get some big return on it. I mean, we all know stories where that may have happened in the past. But um, I don't think that's happening much anymore. And I think the the private equity companies and, and other companies have figured that out. So I think there's more consideration for what's best for your staff and, and your and your people. For an owner that's listening, how could they best bring those topics up for or when speaking with potential buyers? So because it, it's really like a two way interview, right? Like both sides are kind of interviewing and, and seeing like, would this be the right fit? So if a if a buyer is evaluating a potential acquisition and maybe they're saying to the seller, the private practice owner, you know, your units per build units per visit is, you know, I don't know, 2.8 units per visit. 
And, you know, we're looking for something at three or 3.5 or, or four visits per, per visit. So how can an owner best bring these topics up in terms of interviewing and getting clarity on what will likely change after a potential transaction in terms of like the integration side? Because then it does affect them, especially if they're sticking around for the next one or two or three years. And it also will directly affect all of their staff members. Yes. What I would recommend that you do is you just ask the hard questions and and not be afraid to 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 let them know what's important to you and and be willing to say you know not everything's going to be a fit and so um, you know you just again need to know that going forward what's important to you and 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 what can you do and so if somebody wants to you know push you in a direction that you're not comfortable I don't care how much money they're going to give you don't go in that direction because you're just going to you're going to be miserable. There's a lots of choices out there. So I just think you need to do your due diligence. The other thing I would recommend is ask them that you want to talk to some people that have gone through the process. And I would recommend that you talk to somebody that's been in the new company as being, um, you know, an acquisition deal at least a year in. Because when somebody first does it, they're always trying to justify why this was the perfect decision they made and it may not be too objective. So you find somebody that's been in it for a year and talk to them and say, what's your experience? What are you doing? And I mean, PTs are pretty upfront, honest people. And I think they're just going to tell you, this has been my experience. And then you can make your decision based on some of that uh, reference information as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Because when I interviewed Bob Babb, who you might know from PPS, when he, two years ago, he had sold his 11 locations to Ivy Rehab. And he had mentioned that they helped connect him or... They connected him to other practices, other practice owners that were recently acquired. I I can't remember the timeline, if it was around a year or two years that they've been with Ivy. But that was something that he either wanted or he was happy that Ivy Rehab supplied in regards to here's some of these other some of your other colleagues that we've acquired over the past year or two and speak with them. They'll be candid about the experience. They'll probably tell you the pros and cons. and, And then it's like. There's no way for Ivy to fake that. Like you said, like those acquired practice owners are going to be typically real and candid and honest about their experience. So I think that's something that if you're interfacing with a larger group or a corporate is something that you they should. First of all, I think they should like be voluntarily and maybe they then there's another thing like then Ivy might cherry pick like maybe the best practice owners that are having like the best experience. So then you could also, like you said, do some of your own due diligence and maybe go on LinkedIn or, you know, the PPS network and speak with other colleagues that have been acquired by any of these other buyers and maybe go after some other practice owners to ask them for some candid feedback on their experience if they're not on that potentially, you know, cherry picked list. And and, and then you can kind of get even more insight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think, you know, you you we're all busy and things are going on. It's hard to find time to do that, but it just makes sense. The more due diligence you do, the more you can find out, the better your decision can be. And and another thing you should be aware of too, like a lot of private equity groups will purchase your platform or your, your practice and then want to grow it to have a second event down the road. So, you know, that means that you're probably going to work really hard during that time. So if you're looking to bring in private equity money, but you're tired and you think that you're going to cut back on your hours or whatever, that's probably not a good choice. So, you know, you just need to be aware of that too, because a lot of the private equity 
groups want to want to grow what you have and then then they have a second event and so sometimes the time after that event that acquisition is is the busiest time of your career so you just have to know that going in yeah it makes sense and without mentioning any names with your executive coaching that you're doing is that as it sounds like are you mostly helping c-suite folks that are in larger physical therapy practices or are you also working with private practice owners that maybe have one to five locations uh, both. And so I, I do have some clients that just have, you know, one or two clinics. I also have clients that have, uh, you know, 25 to 50 practices. And and uh, so what I help them do mostly with is learn, you know, leadership development and how do you develop your teams and how do you work better as teams and things like that. But I have been asked a lot lately, which uh, is interesting to help them make these or give them information or help them work through the process of determining what is the next step. Is it private equity money? Is it selling to an existing company? Is it, you know, trying to get together with other practitioners and seeing if they can build up something? So I think there's a real trend out there for people realizing that, you know, being together with more practices and more people and more resources is probably the way of the future. Unless you just want to be by yourself and just make certain amount of money and, you know, you're not going to go beyond that, but that's what you want to do, then fine. You just have to be clear of that expectation. Yeah, because in terms of growth, it's it's hard to, unless you're hiring more staff or opening more locations, it's really challenging to grow. Exactly. You, It's, you know, it costs a lot of money. There's a lot of risk involved, especially if you're doing de novos. It takes a while for those to get, you know, above the water. And then, what I always look at is, okay, say I'm a, a new grad coming out. What am I looking for to join a company? And I'm looking for growth opportunities and, and you know, how can I be a better clinician and, or maybe be a clinic director someday or these kind of growth opportunities. And as a standalone private practice, that's hard to offer those things. That's hard to, you know, convince somebody that, yeah, we're going to do that when I just have a small practice. It's easier to do that in bigger groups or bigger companies. So again, what are people looking for coming out of school? And I think I think a lot of people are looking for those growth opportunities. So you have to find a way to provide those to attract the best staff. And in order to have those best situations, like you said, you'll have more resources if you're a partner with a larger group. And if you're solo on your own, it's hard to have a lot of those extra offerings and resources for the new grads and for top talent, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and one of the things that I do with quite a few of my clients is I help them develop and integrate uh, and, and, and start, you know, leadership development programs and clinical development programs. And if you're too small to do it, you know, internally, then you can try and find outside groups to help you, whether it's like, you know, evidence in motion or, or other um, companies that can help you you know, MedBridge, you know, whoever it may be that you align with to kind of help you provide those resources. But I think, um, you know, it, it, you, you know, people are looking for mentoring programs and, and growth programs and leadership development programs. And those are expensive and, and you need other personnel to kind of help you do that. Hard to do in a, in a small practice. Excellent. So if this resonates with anyone in the audience, Steve, what's a good place for them to reach out to you to learn more, connect and and see what you're all about? So a couple ways. One, I, I I don't mind sharing my email address to everybody. So it's Steve Anderson PT at Outlook.com. You can also, as you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, there's orange.coaching.com and that 
That's orangetheword.coaching.com. I realized that some people weren't getting to me and because they were just putting a period instead of the word dot. So that's one way to do it. And then um, you can also reach out through my podcast, as you mentioned, Profiles and Leadership, put out interviews every other week, at least sometimes once a week. And uh, yeah, that, that just continues to grow. And that's my passion, fun thing. And I just love talking to all kinds of people. And, and I learned something every single interview. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, same here as well. So thank you very much for your time. In regards to that, reach out to Steve Profiles in Leadership on Apple iTunes. And is that on where most podcast players yeah, yeah. like Spotify, et cetera? Spotify and most of the, the popular platforms it is on. So you can find it. And if you you might have to search a Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson, but usually it's, it has enough traction now where I think if you just do Profiles with Leadership, it'll it'll come up. Excellent. And we'll put those links in the show notes, including orange.coaching.com. That's orange.coaching.com. And there's other links to touch base and connect further with Steve. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure and have a good rest of your day. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.